Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. And today I have Richard Jefferies from Two Bays Brewing all the way on the other side of the world from Australia. Thank you so much for joining us today, Richard. Thanks, Carl. Thanks for having me. And g'day, everybody, as we like to say down under, which so, means hello. <laughs> um, I wanted to start off with just um, getting some of the basics uh, about Two Bays, about your experience and you know, just give us a high level of like, when did two bays open? Um, uh, where are you located? Some basic things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we we produced our first beer for a gluten-free expo um, in about October 2018. Um, and we released, we opened our tap room then very early December 2018. So that's our summer. So that's a really big tourist time of year for us. So we wanted to be open by Christmas. Um, and then we released our cans on the 20th of December, just online um, only. And, and then um, since then, we've just continued to, to grow and grow and grow. So it's we just had our three, third anniversary um, last December. Um, I kind of say two years of that have been, you know, COVID's had a fair impact on, on the marketplace, if, if not beer consumption. Um, so we kind of probably knock out a year of that. So we're kind of two years into our journey is the way I look at it, but it's just taken us three years to get there. We're based um, in Melbourne, which is, um, well, a little place called Dramana, which is about an hour south of Melbourne. Um, so Melbourne's uh, the southernmost capital city on the mainland of Australia. Um, and, um, you know, we're a population of five million odd people. So, you know, similar to some of the smaller uh, cities, you know, cities in the states, um, and where we're based, you know, we're, we're based between two beautiful bays, uh, bay areas. We've got a bit of ocean beach. Um, we've got lots of breweries, lots of uh, distilleries, um, lots and lots of wineries. Um, you know, really active outdoor area, um, and we can travel to the city pretty easily, um, uh, and, and be in the big smoke in an hour, but otherwise we live a great lifestyle down here. So oh, nice. um, when we looked at where to put the brewery, it was kind of like, do I do it near home or do I do it near the people? And we decided to, to do it near home and, and the beer can just travel. So it turned out to be a good thing. And I was going to ask about the brewery name, but I think you just, you just called it out in what you just said, you're located between two bays. So did you, uh, did that just come in like as a natural choice for the brewery name? Did you have others, things that you're tossing? I, it always fascinates me. Uh, the decision process for naming a brewery, it seems like a really big deal, right? It, it is, it is a big deal. You know, we threw a whole lot of names around, um, and we actually worked with a local university that had a communication design subject and one of them was branding. And so we worked with somebody there as an assignment. Um, we actually were really keen on against the grain uh, until I found there's a brewery somewhere down in, in the Southern parts of the States with guys with big beards and um, <laughs> called called against the grain. Um, and uh, they actually <laughs> turn out they're on our shaver. I don't know, shaver shop, a, a business in the States as well. Um, anyway, uh, one of those uh, shops where you yeah, buy yeah, beer, yeah. beer yeah, trimmers yeah, yeah. and things yeah. like that. And it turned out that the guys doing the ads all over our TV were actually from uh, against the grain in, in the in the US. So um, that got shelved. Um, we went down a, a pathway with a couple of other names. And then suddenly you go to the trademark office and they say you can't have it. Um, yeah. And we, set, we settled on on two bays, partly 
Um, you know, we really see ourselves as a national business. So our, our distribution opportunities in Australia, are, uh, you know, there's less restrictions than there are in the States. So we wanted to be national. Um, so we wanted to have some provenance to our, our area, but we didn't want it to be, uh, you know, Dramana Brewery or anything like that. So two bays kind of allowed us to be pretty much anywhere in Australia and that there's lots of places that have got two bays in their, in their capital cities or their major areas. So it's got provenance to our location. It's got a bit of, you know, stuff that can travel. Um, and our branding guy, when he put it together, came up with a pretty cool brand, we thought. So then we became, you know, got really in love with it all and, and went down a, a, a long way down a path of um, trying to get it trademarked, um, a few other bits and pieces. And then we sort of hit a bit of a hurdle. Um, there was a, another brewery that had just released a two base pale ale or something, you know, and, and, and so then we had a, a bit of a oh shit moment when we thought maybe we were going to have to rebrand. Um, thankfully it did cost me a few dollars, but thankfully we managed to convince them to uh, drop their, their brand. And, and um, yeah, we kept two base. So, um, you know, we think it's great. Um, and it, it kind of allows us to do quite a lot of things with it. So. And I, I get the feeling you definitely did not want to piss off the against the grain guys either, right? That sounds really dangerous. No, we, yeah. we, we they actually they smile a lot, but they got big beards and um, but um, they might not have. And, and yeah, I mean, it, for us, um, you know, we, we thought against the grain worked pretty well with the, the type of malts and the grains that we're using. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we're we're pretty happy to you know two bays. I think is is a, be, a better name for our brand and where we sit with our consumers and things. So, um, yeah, you mentioned distribution. So one of my questions was, and it sounds like that you have a pretty wide distribution. Um, are you all over all of Australia? Um, like what is the breadth of your distribution now? And what are you looking towards, uh, in the future, near future? Yeah. So we're, we're, um, uh, distributed nationally. So you can go to any part of Australia or even up into Darwin, which is a long way from anywhere um and find our beer in certain places um and that was a really a key thing so the first year of our operation i really spent a lot of time trying to work out how to get beer from dramana to other cities um because i you know if you, i've never been in a distribution kind of business let alone cold changes to distribution so um you know but once we worked out where we can get it how we can get it stored in those places and then find people that could sell it out of that warehouse um we, we then set up a sales um, and distribution business around that. But the first thing was to get product into those states. So now we carry um, what we call finished goods. So cartons of beer and, and kegs of beer in, in every capital city in cold storage. Um, and then our local sales teams and partners will sell out of there, um, do that. The liquor industry in Australia too is dominated by two big supermarkets so unlike the states you know it's a, it's a different distribution model we don't need to have um there's no three-tier structure so we can sell direct to a consumer and i can sell direct to a wholesaler and i can sell direct to a bottle shop or a liquor store or a venue um myself so so that's a, a benefit um there's also two big guys and between them they control 70 percent of the take-home beer market in the country so we were fortunate to get our pale ale in with the biggest one that controls about 25% straight up and um, have grown that into a national footprint with them. So they, they take our beer and distribute it around the country. And we've just 
doing that now with one of our other brands, the GFB brand that we launched. We'll talk about that later. Um, uh, has just gone national with one of the other liquor stores. And so between those guys, you know, that, that gives you really big distribution and big volume. So. And, and just an add on to that uh, from a gluten-free beer market. Uh, I know that I, that you're probably pretty familiar with like the Pacific Northwest where I'm from and the States where there's, um, you know, Portland, which has a number of different gluten-free breweries. There's uh, Seattle, which has ghost fish. Um, how does the Australian gluten-free beer market uh, compare and what have you seen even in the last three years since you've been open with the growth of that, that market? So, so it, we're very different to the States. So, um, you know, I, I was lucky enough when I came, I came over in, in February 2017 and, you know, I, I um, at the time, I think um, Groundbreaker was the only one in Portland. So Evasion and, and um, uh, Breeley's weren't open and Mutantis wasn't open. Um, but I basically went from um, Portland, caught the train up to Ghostfish, went over to Denver, then I went into the middle area and went to uh, Burning Brothers in, in Minneapolis um, and then to Alt Brew. I forget where they are, Virginia, I think it is. is it? Uh, or, Madison, no. Madison, Wisconsin, Madison, I think. Madison, yeah. Wisconsin, yeah. that's it. So yeah. I went to, to Alt Brew. Then I went over to Departed Souls and then I went up to Canada to Glutenberg. So, you know, and they were pretty much all the gluten-free breweries that were available in 2017. And obviously now I saw something from the GF. GFBA, the Brewers Association, Gluten-Free Brewers Association, you know, there's, or, um, or, or Lindy, Linda, I think, or, um, with 19 dedicated, you know, breweries across the place. So I have been lucky enough on a more recent trip to drop into Oryx as well um, and um, have met the guys down at, um, uh, I forget the name of it now, actually, off the top of my head. Um, whereas in Australia, we're the only ones with a tap room. We're the only okay. we're the only gluten free brewery where people can come and actually trial product, sit in a dedicated brew house, see how the beers made, eat gluten free pizzas and drink. We now have eleven beers on tap, um, so so we're the only one. There's, there's one other dedicated gluten free brewery called O'Brien's. Um, they've been around for about fourteen years, so I think they're almost the oldest in the world. Um, and they do all grain brewing, but we're the only two that are, that are 100% dedicated breweries. And we're both based in Victoria. We're probably two hours apart. They don't, they're more of a production setup um, and don't have any, any hospitality component to their business. Um, there's another brand. There's a couple of other brands. Um, one of the big brewers. So is it Red, is Redbridge owned by? It's InBev. It's InBev, yeah. Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of our big guys, the equivalent of, of AB InBev created a brand, which is a, which is a, um, called Hard Nuts for Crisp. So it's a, um, just a cheap and cheerful volume selling beer. Um, and they came in and really showed how big the market could be because with their distribution that they could get, they, I reckon eight times the gluten-free beer market, um, overnight in Australia. Um, wow. and then there's another fairly large, um, independent craft brewery, bit of a contract brewer, and they own a brand as well that they sort of play. But there's really only two of us that actually are dedicated talking to the consumer every day, understanding both of us are owned by gluten-free people with celiac disease. So we both, we understand the, the discipline that's needed in the production side. The others just, I think, see an opportunity in the market and just trying to put a product out there. Um, 
But you know, the, the Han products, as I said, it, it eight times the you know increased the market eight eightfold um, based on the the data we have. And um, but that's brilliant because it's bringing people back to beer and um, those people that drank cider or wine or you know spirits, whatever, um, were able to get back into beer at, at a cheap price point. And um, you know, we just see it as our mission to convert them to um, better quality beer. Um, just like every other craft brewery is doing and, and show them that, you know, beer can be pretty interesting and exciting. Yeah. And t- tell, tell me about, um, so you, what, what was the impetus? Uh, you said you have celiac, right? So um, was that diagnosis and like missing beer? What was the reason why you decided to um, uh, create two bays? What was the the reason why this came to an existence? Yes. Yeah, so um my my brother uh, start. He basically spent some time in in um, uh, around um, LA um, many years ago, and, and kind of got to see the early stages of the craft beer industry growing in the states. And he thought um, that it was a nice industry, and and so he came back and actually set up probably uh, one of Australia's first craft beer bars. So you know, multi taps, lots of variety, um, dedicated to independent craft beers. Um, and sort of through him, I got a love for craft beer. He then set up um, uh, Australia's biggest craft beer festival, which was um, where a brewery will actually brew just a beer for that event only. Um, and that's grown to be one of the best beer festivals in the world, um, according to the people that rate beer festivals globally. Um, so, so through that, I just got a love, you know, and, and so the whole thing for me was, was you know, if I went to a, a um, sorry, I should say I didn't get diagnosed till I was late in, in my you know mid to late forties. So um, I um, you know we would go with the kids, and the first thing we do is see which craft brewery was in town and go and try the beers. And you know that was just a, a really a big part of what I like doing. Um, not particularly interested in the in the brewing side of it so much as the the consumption and the tasting and the flavors and and all those interesting things. Um, and so I kind of say when I got diagnosed, that was cruelly taken away from me um, and. I tried the Australian alternatives, which weren't, um, you know, I, I didn't think they were that exciting. And certainly, you know, I, I literally finished drinking a, a, a barley IPA one day and the next day I'm drinking a gluten-free IPA and I'm kind of going, oh, it's not the same. And um, so I got into the craft cider thing because that was, you know, there's some interesting stuff happening in the cider, but I was never a cider drinker beforehand and um, just wasn't really rocking my boat. So um just decided to see what was going on in the gluten-free beer world sort of broadly. And, and that's kind of what started it. So I think I was saying to you a, a little earlier, it's all about self-interest. And, and I always say to people, you know, I'm doing this all for me and I just like sharing it with other people. And I'm just really, really happy that there are so many other people out there that that want to have this kind of option and, and you know, this creativity. And I don't know what CELAC uh, diagnosis is doing in the US. I know overall the gluten-free market in, in the US is is growing for people that either have to or choose to. Um, and we're the same in, in Australia. Um, but, you know, we're getting a lot of people that, you know, like me, got diagnosed later in life um, and had really tried the craft beer side of things and thought that they were going to have to miss out. And we we're able to show them that you don't have to miss out at all. Um, and you can make a really good quality beer out of alternative grains um, that happen to be gluten-free and, and you know, celebrate the, dist- the difference in flavor profile mouthfeel. Um, so we don't try and pretend we're a barley beer. We just try and pretend that we're a really good beer um, and, um, you know, don't 
you know, and, and that seems to be working really well. And, you know, we, we, we sell a lot of beer to non-gluten-free people that just like our beer, which is also good. I think you and I are kindred spirits. I, I was diagnosed in my early 40s and same with you, had that experience of, oh no, I'm going to have to drink cider. Yep, yep. <laughs> And it just doesn't do it for me. So I, I feel the same, same way. I went a different direction where I started home brewing and you've, it sounds like you've created uh, a pretty uh, impressive operation um, down and down uh, in, in Australia. Uh, one of the things I was wanted to talk about was that you had mentioned earlier that you have two different brands that you now have. Um, the two base brand sounds like it's more of a craft brewing kind of craft beer type of brand and then a new brand i saw on your website called gfb so tell us about the difference between those and are, are those for different markets or what are you where are you going to take those two different brands yes yeah, so, so um you know my love was craft beer and, and kind of we set ourselves up as a craft brewery that happened to be gluten-free and that was the two bays side of things um uh for the australians here you know we, we when i traveled around the states i I thought the more interesting beers were coming out of the Pacific Northwest where they're all using grouse malts or, or Eckhart malts. Um, so we, we managed with Tyler and Jim to get the exclusivity to those products in Australia. So it was all about all grain brewing. It was about, you know, using 15 different malts if we wanted to in a beer, uh, making sure that we, you know, could brew any beer style that, that the guys can in the barley beer world. And that was sort of the two base brand, you know, we're, we're a, a, an expensive beer relative, um, to not only barley beers, you know, so we're probably 30% price point above a traditional barley craft brewery. Um, but we're also 20% above um, the price point of, of some of the other gluten-free beers in Australia. And that's, you know, we looked at it as, you know, we were getting the best quality malts that we could find in the world. Uh, we weren't skimping on hop profiles or hop quantities. We weren't trying to brew anything to a price point. It was just to brew the best beer possible and the price was the price um and that's always been the two bays way and, and that's you know worked really really well for us um you know since since we started and the growth and 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 you know the, the people buying all our different beers and our limited releases and the excitement that goes with all that has been great but we also knew that we were spending a lot of money marketing to the gluten-free community and we didn't see gluten-free beer drinkers any differently to traditional barley beer drinkers in, in which you know we know that um, certainly in Australia, you know, 80, 85% of the beer drinkers are drinking the, the, the Millers and the Coors equivalents in Australia, you know, so they're just drinking the, the, the lagers, um, easy price point, um, higher volume drinking, you know, all that sort of stuff. And they, and they weren't moving. And so over here, craft beer is probably 15% of, of the beer market and 85% of it is the, the sort of uh, international or local lagers. So we didn't see the gluten-free community doing being any different. And we just felt that if we were going to be marketing to that community, we wanted to make sure we tried to get a product that would appeal to the, each person in that community and not go, you know what, it's too florally or it's too sweet or, you know, it's kind of, you know, not what I like drinking. It's too bitter. <laughs> um, and so we created GFB as a brand that is what we call it. It's a kind of over, over here, they call them draft you know, classic, basically it's a lager, um, uh, which we brand as a, as a draft, classic Aussie draft ale um, for those people that used to love drinking, you know, the, the, 
the volume beers prior. Um, and it's worked, you know, it's an absolute treat. And, and the thing for us really is to make a, the best beer we could. So again, we felt that some of the other players, particularly the, the, the large, um, you know, internationally owned large breweries were putting a product out there that, you know, was a product and ticked a box from a price point and, and, um, but we felt we could make a much better product, maybe a little bit more expensive than theirs, but not at the same price point as, as um, uh, the two base branded products. So GFB was created our first beer and that is the draft beer. We see it as a brand that we will, you know, grow over time um, with, with other products in the range um, and will appeal to that sort of um, the buyer and, and um, you know, the price points resonating in the market. And then, and then they become part of the two base family and then, you know, our job is over time to, for those that want to, to do whatever else is doing the craft beer world and just trying to move them up and get them to try a, a craft lager over a, a more mainstream type lager and then try a pale ale and then go, you know what, that's pretty good. Let's move on to an XBA and then into an IPA. And um, what's that fancy dark beer type stuff you guys make, you know? So, so that's kind of what we hope to do with those, with, with that consumer. Um and, you know, we see a lot of people that come in just by our, our GFB branded beers now that are new customers to us. And then we see a lot of them that will buy uh, a GFB as their fridge filler, we call them in Australia. So you're sort of midweek beers and then we'll drink, uh, buy a carton of, of uh, two base brands for the weekend and for when they're going out to parties and things. So, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's a commercial thing, but we also felt that we could really make a, a, a much better quality um, price pointed beer as well so nice excellent um one of the things i was reading about in uh on your website and your blog i will call it your blog uh was the uh expansions that you've been doing uh one that was very recent and then one i think a few a couple of years ago which seems pretty impressive that you've expanded that much so quickly so one thing that got me thinking is what kind of struggles do you have when you all of a sudden get these huge giant, you know, fermenter tanks and bright tanks. And I mean, if you look at, if anyone goes to their website, you should check out some of the pictures is they're pretty massive. Right. So it's good that yeah. you even have the space to do that. Uh, but what, what uh, does that look like from like a management perspective and, you know, packaging all that? Up? I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. So is there, is, was that a struggle to grow that fast? What does that look like? It, 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 I mean, it's, it's an ongoing struggle. I mean, the, the beauty is it sort of creeps up on you in some ways, you know, it's sort of like occasion, you know, we, we've had a couple of points where we've got into one of the big guys and the distribution just takes a leap step. Um, and, you know, we, we know we're planning for that to happen, but we don't know whether we're going to get that distribution. So you sort of got to plan ahead, but yeah, you're, um, so we started, we, we've got, I'll talk leaders because, and, and hectoliters, um, but we've got a, a 20 heck brew house is what we started with. Um, and, you know, to start with, I'm thinking that's far too big and, you know, but everybody says don't go too small to, to start with. And then we've got a little 300 liter pilot system that allows us to do four or five kegs of beer for tap room and for trial and, and things like that. Um, so we started with um, two 40 heck fermenters and two 20 heck fermenters. Um, and they would sit empty for a long period of time, you know, um, then things started to, to pick up and, and so in December 18, we started in 
21. So in October 2019, so pretty soon, we actually doubled our fermentation capacity. So we'd already, we designed everything for um, 8,000 litre fermenters. So all our cable trays were put up at six metres. We've, we've got a lot of height, which is always good in a brewery. Um, I always know if you ever go to um, Groundbreaker and see the, the poor guys yeah. with their, their back area. I mean, you can almost scrape your head on the roof there, you know, so height's good. Um, so our, our height's six or seven metres, sorry, seven or eight metres to the roof and, and cable trays six metres. So, you know, we plan for uh, 80 heck fermenters. Um, so we brought in two of those and, and one 80 heck bright. And that was October 19. Um, and that doubled our fermentation and, and our cellaring capacity. Um, and that allowed us then to do quad brews over two days for, and we started to move into double brewing in a day for our core range beers. Um, we still went brewing every day, but it, but it just, you know, allowed us to have that ability to do a bigger run um, rather than continually um, to, um, holding up tanks. Um, and then in February this year, we actually brought in another two 80 heck tanks and another 80 heck fermenter. So that added a further 60% capacity to, um our cellaring side of the business and and you know again that's too big for what we need now but with what we think we can see coming um we're not sure it's big enough um you know so when we're now um you know investigating whether we move to a 40 heck brew house um you know which will change the game you know again and that's partly driven by um labor side of things so over in, in australia um a, labor is expensive, but B, um, it's hard to find, you know, so um, the challenge is to find people to brew. So if we can get um, the same labor producing uh, 80 heck in a day instead of 40 heck in a day, then, you know, that that's that works yeah. well from a resourcing and a, and a cost efficiency perspective. Um, so that so and then we just added around it. Um, we had our first. Um, all team meeting um, in March, so it's the first time since because of COVID, we've been able to get everybody together in one room. Um, it was 13 people. So in, in three years, we've grown to 13 um, full-time people. Plus we've got a, a range of casuals in our hospitality part of our business. So we've got you know five or six that work in that part of the business. Um, and so, so different parts of sales side have been, has been reasonably easy to hire for over time. Um, and, you know, but we've had some some people that haven't worked out and we've changed through. It's not it, it's a different world now. As I was talking to you earlier, we were almost at full employment in Australia. So finding people to do any work is is a real challenge um, for, for any industry, um, let alone brewing. So um, the production side is probably our biggest challenge at the moment. We need to get more brewers into our team, which is um, we put out a post on the on the zero tolerance thing a little while ago just to start to see and, and we started to explore you know, international brewers to come in because there's just, you know, not not enough in Australia. Brewers either left the industry through COVID, decided, you know, it's, it's hard work as you all know as a home brewers, but, you know, as a, as a production brewer, it's, it's really hard physical work yeah. um, and, and stressful work because, you know, you, you've got to, when you've got 8,000 litres sitting in a tank, you can't afford to make it in a bad batch. Um, so, you know, you, you've got that side. Um, so a lot left the industry and then a lot of the craft breweries, um, that people thought might fall over through COVID haven't, and many others have opened up again as people have decided to leave their, you know, their previous jobs and gone. You know what? I think this craft beer industry is pretty cool. I'm going to go and set up a brewery somewhere else, and they all need brewers. And 
So um, that's probably been our, our biggest challenge, but we have a dedicated sales team now that we that we employ and we have a number of distribution partners in some of the states that are either a bit smaller or a bit further away. Um, we deal with all the major wholesale customers in Australia. We have a, a two-person, two-and-a-bit-person marketing team um, to tell the story about two days, but also just to let people know that you can drink beer and be gluten-free and drink beer because I think, I, I don't know, certainly I, I never considered whether the beer had gluten in it when I was first diagnosed. And suddenly I think a lot of people get told, well, you can't have beer, bread and pasta. And um, of course you can, but they're the three things you sort of immediately think you can't have. Um, and so I think a lot of consumers will just go off beer and, and, and go onto other alcohol sources. And so we do a lot of marketing to let them know that there's you know great beer available. Um, and, um, you know, then we have a, a bit of a fulfillment side and hospitality side to the business. So, you know, it's a fairly big, big operation now, but it just seems to grow one person at a time. And all of a sudden it's 13 full-timers. Um, and, and um, you know, we're, we're looking to add to that, particularly in the, in the production side at the moment. So, yeah, it sounds like I was going to ask about uh, um, like mash, it seems like a place like uh, ghost fish that I've been to before and watched them brew, uh, their main pain point is um, their mash ton is only a certain size. So they have to turn that around a couple times a day to fill up uh, a fermenter. Right. I, I don't, is that a similar thing with, with two bays where your mash ton is a limiting factor in how often you can fill up a tank? I, th I think, um, I think that's the same for any, any brewery yeah. though. Right. So, so the process, you know, our process as you know, is no different to a barley brewery. Really. We might um, be in mash a little bit longer and, uh, and our lautering might be, um, uh, you know, a challenge because of the size of the grain um, at times. Um, I don't know. I can't remember the tank. We, we've got a three vessel brew house though. So we have a, a, um, a mash, a lauder and then a kettle whirlpool set up so we can move product. I, I can't remember whether ghost fish is, a, is just a two vessel and they mash and lauder in the same tank. I, I, I don't remember now, um, but certainly, you know, you want to do double brews in a day so that you, you know, your fermenter can, um, it allows us to fill up one of our quad fermenters over two days. So you do two on one day, two the next day, and you've got 8,000 liters of beer. Um, so, you know, double brews are, uh, are pretty normal um and then you start to move into triples and all sorts of other things as your shifts get longer but um the you know ultimately we're a food manufacturing business it just happens to be a really interesting food product i reckon um and so you've got stainless steel and you want that stainless steel to work you know as hard as possible um and if you can turn it over four or five times in a day um because you, you got the demand for the product at the end of the day you know that's that's not a bad thing um and you know, brewers work shifts in every brew house around the country. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's not, a, not so much a, a limiting factor. We probably, if we start at 7 a.m. So if we're doing a double brew, we start at 7 a.m. It's about a 12 hour day, give, give or take. Um, so the first brew will come in at seven and, and mash in straight away. Um, and then the second brew will go in usually around about, you know, 11 or 12 into the, into the, probably about 11-ish into the mash um, for the second brew while the other one's lautering. So it allows us to keep moving through, but it, it's, it's um, you know, it's a long, long day, but over two people, you know, they just do eight hour shifts um, and, and it gets done. Um, but yeah. 
did you after do you ever have to grab grab you said you you weren't weren't brewing the beer offline but do you ever have to just in an emergency grab grab the mash paddle and get get in there and do any of that work or it it was so at the start when we just had the 300 liter system you know that was all mash paddle and uh, rubber gloves and breaking up the clumps of grain you know that was really exciting because i'd never brewed as i said to you before i'm not a brewer um you know my, my interest is consumption and flavors not uh not so much the actual making of it and i'll leave that to the um to the very talented you know creative people that you know um and science-based and creative-based people that come up with all that, that wonderful stuff. Um, but yeah, to start with, it was fantastic, breaking out the clumps and stirring the mash and everything. But now, you know, we have big motors that do all that. And so when you get to the, the big side of things, it's nowhere near as exciting because you sort of um, pull, pull a lever and all, the, all the, um, the grist just falls into the mash through the hydrator and then big motors with big paddles turn it around and then pumps move it from one to the other. Um, so, you know, it's, it's still very skillful and very technical and, and, and side of things, but it's not, it's not so much of a spectator sport when you get to the big system. So one thing I, I, I know you touched on, I wanted to get back to this subject is the grains that you, um, are using, which I find fascinating that, um, you're importing grains all the way from the U S from Colorado and California, I imagine that procuring of those grains, two, two questions uh, kind of embedded in that is procuring those grains, that's got to cost a lot to ship. And what does that look like? How does it, how long does it take to get the grains there to Australia and like uh, how far in advance you have to look at that? And then secondary, uh, secondary to that is, have you uh, investigated um local malts uh, uh, where you don't have to i know like for instance ghost fish they took on uh, skagit valley malting which is just up here in washington state because the shipping was just so much and they needed another source and so on and so forth so talk to me about the grains that you get the sourcing of those and and uh, the difficulties and all that around around the grains yes sure so um yeah, our, our grains are six to seven times. By the time they land here, they're about seven times the price of barley malt. Um, and I don't know that, you know, but they're probably um, five times the price before the shipping or maybe even six times the price. And the shipping, we actually are now bringing out 40 foot containers um, from Twyla um, in particular. So, you know, we'll fill up 20 pallets of, um, or she, she will fill up 20 odd pallets of, of um Malt. So that's um, what, 20,000 pounds, I think it is, is kind of the order at a time. So it's, it's a big um, cash hit and, and big cash investment when you're buying that much malt. Um, but that allows then our shipping costs to be a relatively small proportion of the, the actual grain cost. Um, so so that, that side's um, okay. And, you know, and our view is we'd rather deal with the best malt people we can we can find in the world and and uh, Jim and, and Twyla um, you know absolutely tick that box from what I was tasting at, at Ghostfish and um, uh, and um, Holidayly in, in particular um, so but you know procuring it you know we we just got a 40 foot arrived yesterday in Australia you know so and it didn't get hauled up through customs for the or quarantine for the first time in ages um, I think we ordered that five months ago oh my wow 
So, so we're planning, so we have to plan ahead a long way, um, you know, and and we're, we're trying to build a stock holding in Australia that, you know, keeps us out of trouble for a while, but every time we build up a stock holding, our sales go up and we brew more and we're chasing our tail a bit to sort of have enough, um, uh, you know, malt in our warehouse. We, we, we ran out a couple of years ago um, around Christmas time. That was a little bit exciting, um, but we haven't run out this year, but we still get pretty low at, at times. Um, we've got another 40 footer that Twyla's that we're just trying to get on a boat that Twyla's filling um, now for us. Um, and I think we placed that order, you know, a couple of months ago. So it's not her, it's not a, it's not a hold up at grouse. It's just a hold up with the whole shipping at the moment, which globally is, uh, gone to the toilet and particularly out of the States to Australia, it's gone really to the toilet. So um, getting on a boat is is challenging. We used to get it here in about three months and so now it's gone out to five. Um, so, you know, hopefully in the next 12 months that that starts to improve. Um, but um, so, you know, that means we, we've got to think about what beer we're brewing in September um, and make sure we're ordering malt for it now. Um, and then, hope to God we got enough malt. So last year we did a stout that went um, completely nuts and won us a gold medal at, at our local beer awards. Um, and we didn't have enough pitch rice from Jim and, and chocolate uh, millet from Twyla to do any more. So it's kind of like, well, that's it, you know, and, and we can't do it. So this year we've got a whole lot more of those malts coming along and hopefully the sales are uh, bigger and better. But so that's, that is definitely one of the challenges. And, you know, we definitely spent a lot of time with our office manager and operations and production team just planning out what a brewer is. And, that, and that's kind of why we don't, you know, we only do four limited package release in cans a year because we, we want to, um, we, we just don't know what the hell it is we're going to brew next. So, so you've got, you got that, that challenge with it all. Um, from from your, your second side of things, we have looked at, local malting and have talked to some people about it we certainly grow the grains in australia um we have um the rice harvest side of things is 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 a fairly large part of uh, australian agriculture um and is pretty gluten-free from a um a growing and a a harvesting perspective we have a dedicated um gluten-free certified buckwheat um uh ag business that we could buy buckwheat 100% gluten-free from. Um, they generally sell it into Japan for, for soap and noodles, but we could work with them and their farmers to grow that side of it all. The millet's a bit more of a challenge because, you know, it's sort of grown everywhere. And, and the one thing we, we you know, appreciate, particularly with Twyla, is the investment that she makes with, with her growers on, on the, the gluten-free growing path as well. And, and um, you know, so getting the grains gluten-free in the first place is the challenge. Then you've got to malt it and, and our consumption whilst it's, you know, growing and, and is, is, you know, I think a, a meaningful part of Twyla's overall business, it's not enough to justify putting 500,000 bucks worth of, you know, um, uh, malt, malting equipment um, in anywhere um, because the volume's just not there. Um, and the farmers in Australia, the farm gate price is, is pretty high. Uh, um, so with some of the people we worked in, by the time you actually work it all the way through to being delivered to us locally, um, it's not a dramatically different price 
um, to us importing from the States. Um, and there we, we know that Twyla is, is working with the farmers and she manages that whole relationship from a, a growing perspective and a harvest perspective. We know that her malt house is 100% gluten-free as is Jim's, whereas in Australia, there's been a couple of, there's, there's a couple of artisan malt houses that are playing around with some sorghum malting and, and things. Um, but, you know, I've been there and there's barley shit everywhere. So, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. I know from speaking to the breweries that, um, you know, have seen their product and brewers that have, you know, a home brewer that's seen the malt, you know, and they're pulling barley out of the sorghum malt. So, you know, we're not comfortable at all that, um, at this stage, um, we could um, have a, a, an ingredient that's, that's going to be 100% gluten-free to the quality that we want. And then malting is just, you know, it's its own, it's just as difficult as brewing. So you need a dedicated malting team. And, and to be honest, running a brewing business is hard enough. I don't want to be running a malting business myself. So um, we, we hope we continue to grow and we hope that we can, you know, environmentally, we don't like putting stuff onto, onto boats. Um, we're happy now to do it in 40 foot containers because that's, you know, we're bringing less, less shipments over and, and um, you know, we're, we're working on, on that side. Um, but I think probably as an Australian industry, we're, we're some years away before we could do local malting um, to the scale that makes it economical. I was trying to think of your worst nightmare would your worst nightmare be your your boat just the, your 40-foot container just disappears into the ether or would it be you filled up a eight what is it eight thousand liter fermenter and then it turns out it's just the worst beer you ever taste in your life what what, what would be the biggest disaster for richard jefferies it, it, <laughs> uh i i well, I, I think about them all the time, uh, but I try not to. Um, I think probably our number one risk is, is actually our brewers. So again, you know, we don't have any brewers that are gluten-free. Um, they've all come from the barley beer world. Um, and the, the risk is that they decide to go back to the, to the barley beer world. And yes, we've got the recipes, but we don't have anybody to make the beer in the first place. So that's probably the number one concern. Um, we are very concerned, you know, from a, a supply chain that, yeah, if a, four, if a four, 40 footer fell off a boat, what does that mean? We're less concerned, you know, we've got that covered from a financial perspective, you know, or, um, you know, but, but right now I'm a bit concerned because I don't have enough stock in Australia to carry through a time frame that would get us through to another shipment, emergency shipment or whatever coming through. Um, or if something happened to, to Twyla or, or Jim's businesses and they couldn't produce for us, um, the, the whole idea with us building our, our raw material stock over here is that we can buy ourselves some time. And, we, and we've sort of, by, by um, creating GFB, which is, which is uh, an extract beer with, with sorghum and, and rice malts, we bought a, an alternative if something diabolical like that happened. Um, Throwing 8,000 litres of beer down is not good, um, but it's only one, one tank and I've got, you know, four more of them full of it. So, it, it, you know, it's, it's a one-time hit. Everything else is, is, you know, a brewer is a multiple-time hit because, you know, it means that, you know, you're, you're missing out on at least one brewer every single day for every brewer that doesn't turn up, you know. So um, that, that's probably the thing that, that keeps me awake um, the most. And then, um, and, and then 
I hadn't thought about a container not arriving yet, but um, that would probably be the second. Oh, well, I'm sorry. So, so last, last, last thing. We have to have some fun here, um, and then I'll let you go. I know you have to to leave in just a moment. I was reading the blog again, and it piqued my interest to Aussie versus American beer slang. I heard the the term tinny um yep. and coldy and frosty in terms of uh aussie beer slang so can you just hit me with some i don't know if you can do this on uh just short notice but can you hit me with some good uh aussie versus american beer slang let, let fill us into the differences so uh, um so i actually don't know what you guys um call your cans over there but um yeah we'll call them uh tinnies um because you know they obviously used to be made from tin back in, in in the older days um or a frothy you know um grant who i know is part of the, the group you know has, has his friday frothies um it's kind of one of his little hashtags um you know and that's just you know blowing the froth off the top of a of a, a beer glass um the um you know we do tasting panels you do tasting flights um you know so you go to the states and go can i have a tasting paddle and, and i tell you the guys are, you know, I just decided the point I'll have one of those things. Um, um, but but otherwise, yeah, what, what do you call your cans over there? Oh, well, I mean, people will call them like cold ones or brewskis or the bottles yeah. sometimes refer to them as bombers. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's basically it. And then the other thing I was I was thinking of is like a term like shotgunning a beer. Is that do people shotgun beers in Australia? <laughs> Uh, college college kids may be similar to the states but certainly people my age don't um and you don't do it with a gluten-free one jesus it's far too expensive to drink them that quickly um but yeah, yeah i mean shotgunning um yeah definitely was was something as a younger person you would you would do um so it's so all those are all, are all um you know similar and you know we we actually did a a, a tap takeover a bar in, in brisbane a couple of weekends ago called brewski you know, so brewski is definitely a, a oh, nice. term that some nice. people will use. Um, um, bombers, probably not. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to get crowlers is something that you got. You know, growlers is definitely growlers and squealers. You know, we, we, we share the same terminology. There aren't very many crowlers over here. Like, um, uh, I, don't, I think ghost fish do crowlers as well as, as um yeah the, yeah, yeah. Screw time. yes 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 yeah so yes. so we don't do those sort of things as much over over in australia um but you know there are some people that will import those sort of machines um but otherwise it's kind of similar just the, i think the beer the beer styles are slightly different so in the states there's a lot more ipa double ipa triple ipa you know, even in the in the gluten free world, whereas over here, even our pale ales will be a lighter color. I think you know more more lightly hopped and less bitter. Um, and so you got you know in the beer awards, you got Australian pale ale. You got I, I saw the New Zealand IPAs just got got classified for um, as as a new category for their hops. Um, so you know you'll you can put your beer into the American IPA. The you know a lot of our pale ales will probably fit into. Um, you know, golden ale categories and things like that. So, th so I think, you know, you know, my, my experience has been that the States will, will, you know, always have a darker, more roasted pale than we would have over here okay. often, yeah. um, you know, those sort of differences. So. Well, 
I, I'm hoping one of these days, either you're going to just send me like a shit ton of uh, two bays beer in the mail, or one of these days, I hope I can fly down there and come visit you and your brewery in person because it sounds fantastic. Um, so I really want to thank you for taking the time uh, to do this. And um, I'm wishing you much success on your future endeavors. Thanks so much for joining us, Richard. Thanks, Karen. I appreciate you having me. And obviously, I think the Zero Tolerance you know, website, when when that was set up a few years ago, it's great to see. I had a quick look. I think it was yesterday, 1,500 odd members. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's brilliant. Um, I'm happy to work out some deal with you that, that you know, I'm happy to throw the beer in if you guys pay for the freight because, you know, um, and you want to get a few of your guys together and, and um, uh, you know, get them to one spot and we can send a couple of cartons somewhere. Um, you know, happy to to try and work with you on that. We'd love to get your feedback on you know how you guys see our beers relative to other stuff. We were going to come over for World Beer Cup with product this year, but um, we just ran out of brewing time. So um, and and uh, hopefully we'll we'll get over for CBC in Nashville next um, next year and and you know go go around again and do in person drinking at Ghost Fish and Groundbreaker and catch up with everybody and drink the wonderful beers you guys get to have particularly um, well all around the country now. Um, you know, I think some of the, the new uh, craft breweries, you know, it's really exciting to see the growth And I'm just talking to a guy in, in Portland and Maine about one and, and um, right. we sent yeah. some of our yeah. beers to a brewery in, in Nova Scotia um, where they're not hundred percent gluten-free, but they're starting to brew with um, Twiner's malt so that they can create a gluten-free product for their, their local drinkers so um yeah i think it's really exciting and so i can't wait to get back over and, and try a whole lot of the new brewers um see what everyone's doing excellent well next time you're in seattle or ring me up and um and cheers thank you so much no worries at all thanks thanks everybody yep cheers catch up bye